นโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะทูอะระหะทูสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังฆังนามสังSo it's a huge good fortune that at this stage, uh, 2,600 and something years since the Buddha passed away, we still have an opportunity to listen to, to study, and to practice these teachings. And what, uh, as followers of the Buddha, we're doing is we're making a statement that uh, of all the things that we could be investing our energy in. This is the most important. The teachings of the Buddha, the Buddhang Saranangasami, the Buddha is my refuge. In other words, I orientate the core of my being. I orientate my heart towards the Buddha, and this is uh, something that we've arrived at by ourselves. It's not something we've been persuaded to do. Not something that somebody has come with an emotionally intimidating argument and. Uh, Uh, lent on us and persuaded us we should become Buddhists, but something that we've we've chosen to do because we, on some level, in some way, sometimes quite mysteriously, we have a feeling that this really matters. Uh, this is something that the the Buddha himself encouraged um, in one of the discourses that uh, those of you who've been coming here for a while will be familiar with. Certainly the. Traditional Buddhists will be familiar with the what's known as the the uh, the discourse on the greatest blessings, or the Mahamangala Sutta, is uh, a discourse the Buddha gave. Probably it was in response to, well, traditionally we understand it's in response to a celestial being coming down and and asking the Buddha, please give us the signs, please tell us what is the The most auspicious signs that we can we can uh, use to uh, structure our life around, and the very very first stanza, there's a line there which he says, "Puja cha puja niyanang," and puja, which we generally understand is is um, chanting, or we come together and we do puja. But what the literal meaning of the word puja is. Honoring or devotion, and so what this line here, puja cha puja niyanang, 
which is the Buddha is holding up. This is what constitutes a great blessing. One of the greatest blessings is honoring that which is worthy of honor. Or devoting your life to that which is worthy of devotion. In other words, investing your heart energy in that which really matters. This is the greatest blessing the Buddha was pointing out. Now, in giving this guidance, the Buddha wasn't just promoting himself. He wasn't just saying, you know, I'm the greatest. Um, even though he was the greatest, he wasn't, he wasn't advertising himself. He's just pointing out a fact and saying that you've got to use your intelligence, you've got to use your reflective ability to find out what is it that really is worth honouring. Mm-hmm. What is it worth being devoted towards? Because if we don't stop and think about it, we can be conned. You don't have to look very far to see how easy it is and how many folk in our world are conned by things that are not really productive. It's like investing in something that doesn't pay good dividends. It's a bad move. And and our heart energy is more important than money. So the Buddha was saying that you want to cultivate blessings, you want to really be careful what you invest this heart energy in. So honouring that which is worthy of honour. And so why was... Or why... Did the Buddha hold up his teachings, the Dhamma, or what came to be known as the Triple Gem, the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha? Why did the Buddha hold this up as really worth investing in? Why is the Buddha, why do we choose the Buddha as somebody who is worth orienting our life towards? Well, it's because the Buddha had completed his work. The Buddha had realized that which can be realized. The Buddha had done that which can be done. He, like all of us, experiences a lot of, uh, well, experienced a lot of good times, but he also experienced a lot of challenges and frustrations and disappointments. And as you probably know, around the age of 29, the Buddha had this experience of suddenly waking up to the reality of it's not, this is not a picnic. And he realized for the first time there is this experience of old age, there is sickness, there is death. And he had a sort of a, uh, the veils falling away and he realized that, oh, it's not what I thought it was when I was a teenager. And so this recognition, this disillusionment inspired the Buddha on his quest to, is there an alternative? Are we obliged to just put up with this and then in the end die is that all there is to it so this great question arose in the buddha's mind the great doubt is there an answer to this question just the same as we have and so he set out on his quest and then as we know around the age of 36 under the bodhi tree uh, the buddha realized that yes there is an answer that there is the possibility of letting go of these habits that we accumulate out of unawareness, the way we relate to life out of unawareness, is the cause of suffering. Suffering is not an obligation. We don't have to suffer. It's not anybody else's fault, but rather it's something we're doing. We're doing something that's bringing about this experience of suffering. And the Buddha learned how to stop doing it completely. It wasn't like he learned it for a few weeks and then forgot, but he learned it so completely 
that it was like that for the rest of his life. In the, in the end of that discourse that I was referring to there, the Mahamangala Sutta, the Buddha talks about this realization into the Four Noble Truths. And then the heart that he realized, that heart, Jitang Yasana Kampati, that heart is unshakable. And so this was the realization of the Buddha. And that's why the Buddha is a worthy object of our devotion. The Buddha learned how to let go. The Buddha did away with all these habits of clinging, the habits that we all still struggle with. And we do struggle with them. So this is why the Buddha is a worthy object of devotion and in following the instruction or the encouragement of the Buddha, puja to puja niyanang, that we, this is why we pick up this object of devotion and, and honour the teachings of the Buddha. And a few days ago, it was, it was Friday, it was the actual full moon, and uh, some of you will be on the uh, little correspondence program that we operate from here, the new moon and full moon email that gets sent out where... There's a, uh, a verse from the Dhammapada, the teachings of the Buddha, and a little comment. And uh, the comment this week was uh, on verse 91, and it says that, Alert to the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. Yeah. Alert to the needs of the journey, those on the path of awareness, like swans, glide on, leaving behind their former resting places. Very fitting image. It's not about clinging. So much of our effort, so much of our energy goes into feeding these habits that we have, which are just about clinging, hanging on to things and... Similarly, there was a, um, this month there was a, a calendar verse, which some of you will have seen on our um, calendar, the month of, of May, where was a teaching by Ajahn Chah, where he's pointing out, talking about the Buddha, he says that so long as the Buddha had not fully understood the truth of birth and death, in other words, so long as the Buddha was not fully realized, he continued to probe deeper. And then even tranquility, even serenity was something to be let go of. Once again, it's this image of learning how to let go. And letting go is basically the definition of our spiritual work. We consider ourselves disciples of the Buddha and on this day reflecting on the good fortune that we have to come across the Buddha's teachings and to follow this path. What is it we're doing? What is our practice? Our practice is learning how to let go. That's what we do. That's what Buddhists do, learning how to skillfully let go. Now, this is not, this is not what Ajahn Chah would call the letting go of a water buffalo, you know, kind of, kind of whatever, you know, roll another joint and, and everything's okay. That's not what the Buddha was talking about. And it's not what Ajahn Chah was talking about. There is mindful letting go, letting go that comes from having investigated and seen for ourselves the consequences of clinging. And so this is something that uh, all of us need to be working on. This is the, the skills that we need to be developing. Uh, 
What is it that as Buddhists we're cultivating? Well, we're cultivating these skills. We're cultivating the skills of wise letting go. And it's not, it's not necessarily easy. We can, we can let go heedlessly, but developing the skill of letting go wisely takes a lot of attention, takes a lot of care, takes a lot of kindness, takes a lot of patience. It's like any other skill that you might want to develop, like like uh, surfing. <laughs> Any surfers in the community there? Well, at least if there's no surfers here, maybe you watch people surfing. I mean, you know how difficult it is, you know, just to when to start paddling, when to actually get up on your board, where to put yourself on the board. I mean, you can really come a cropper if you don't have the skill. You know, knock your teeth out if you're not careful, fall out on your board. Or perhaps if you're not into surfing, maybe you can... You know, remember what it was like when you were learning to drive. You know, you you don't put your foot on the clutch at the right time. Or recently I came across a couple of people who, they were used to driving automatic cars and and they didn't know how to drive when you've got a gear shift. And, and yeah, it's embarrassing when you you don't have the skill. You you grind the gears and you stall at the lights and you, you cause congestions. You don't have the skill. Well, when we don't have the skill of letting go wisely, it's the same. We get into trouble. We get into big trouble. And this is why the Buddha gave these teachings. He didn't want us to get into trouble. He didn't want us to have to suffer from what he called dukkha. That's the the Four Noble Truths that he realized and then pointed out as the greatest of all blessings, as the insight into the Four Noble Truths, is the insight into this, insight into what is it we do that causes us trouble. Don't think that it's an obligation. Don't get uh, complacent and fall into the habits, as we so easily do, of blaming. We we can very easily blame the weather, or we can blame our parents, or we can blame our astrological configuration or we can blame the politicians this habit of of projecting responsibility out there actually makes us weak you know even if the projecting responsibility is onto some imagined celestial being there's somebody who's going to do it for us the buddha was very critical of this you know the buddha wasn't generally very critical of anything but when it came to uh, teachings that made people weak or undermine the sense of personal responsibility, uh, taking responsibility for the karma we create in our lives, he was very critical because he, he realised that we need our strength, we need our focus, we need our recognition that we are responsible for what we're doing that creates suffering. Because he realised for himself, you don't have to do it. So I was... Uh, speaking with a good friend of our community a few days ago and uh, this is an elderly woman and she was sharing with me a, a little insight that she had had when um, she was, she'd been watching television and she'd been watching these disabled sports people. She was commenting on how this one person was uh, competing in some sport or other, I don't know what it was, but he had lost two legs and an arm in, uh, and and 
and he was only left with a torso and, a, and one arm and a head, and that was it. And and she recognised because she was going through a bad time. This friend, she's as I said, she's very elderly and she's struggling with old age, and she's had surgery and she's actually feeling pretty sorry for herself. She's having a bad time, and then she recognised, well, you know, if this person were that degree of disability is still doing okay, what am I doing? What am I doing feeling uh, sorry for myself when they're managing to do okay with their disabilities? And, and she recognised for herself and it made a huge difference. Now, when she told me, I thought, well, yeah, this is, this is what the Buddha wants us to do. He wants us to use our intelligence. He wants us to use our ability to reflect. Like When we compare ourselves, for instance, with other people, who do we compare ourselves with? You know, we tend to compare ourselves with people who are more beautiful or more wealthy or more intelligent. And what well, is that wise reflection or is that unwise reflection? The Buddha would say, no, that's not wise reflection. You know, you're going to use our discernment so that we increase the skill which brings about letting go. Now, these skills are not something that the Buddha was born with. The Buddha wasn't born enlightened. The Buddha had to spend a long time cultivating the skills which equipped him with the ability to let go of all his habits of clinging. And then at that point he realised fully, this is it. That which needs to be done has been done. Yeah. And so all his teaching from that point onwards was encouraging us to do the same thing. To use our discernment you know, when we're struggling... Not just to blame other people, not just to dwell on the past, not just to worry about the future, but to bring our attention to here and now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness, and reflect. What is it we're doing that is perpetuating this habit of clinging, which is leading to the suffering? And with that, inclining towards letting go. Uh But it's not always easy. As I was saying with that, that elderly lady, she's, she's actually a committed Buddhist of many years and <clears throat> when she was younger she used to have very good uh, meditation practice and she used to get a lot of, a lot of um, joy out of her meditation practice. But after having had surgery and some considerable illness and now in her old age her faculties are fading and she was struggling. But fortunately, with this experience, she recognized, I'm doing this. This suffering that is happening right now is something that I'm actively creating. And with that, a certain sort of letting go happened. And an increased confidence, increased strength. This is what the Buddha is encouraging us to do. So part of this work we need to be doing, learning how to let go skillfully and wisely, also we need to be letting go of... uh, one of the things we need to let go of is the stories that we tell ourselves. You know, we're, if we're not very careful, you know, we, can, we can be running these stories over and over again in our heads which are not serving our momentum towards awakening. Yeah. There are stories, like for instance many of the stories the Buddha gave. You know, the Buddha taught all these similes which were awakening stories, the stories which incline us towards awakening. But then there's deluding stories. There are stories which, uninspected stories, which we don't even sometimes know are going on in our head. They're undermining us all the time. 
And so learning to let go of these stories is really important. And how do we do it? Through wise reflection. Also through what something else the Buddha encouraged and all our teachers have encouraged to do is formal practice, meditation. So uh, on this day of the Buddha's birthday, I should do a little promotion of meditation practice. It's, uh, it's not necessarily an easy exercise. Any people here who do meditation realize this, this monkey mind is just sometimes can be a real pain. It just doesn't seem to want to settle. It's another skill. The first time we learned to drive, we weren't good. The first time we learned to cook, probably we burnt it or didn't cook it enough. First time you played a musical instrument, it wasn't worth listening to. Developing the heart, cultivating the mind is the same thing. These skills are something that are really worth investing in. And the skill of learning to recognize, listen to these stories, these stories that are going on, like I can't do it. In meditation, and the mind wanders. Like, you know when the mind wanders in meditation, and then you recognize that the mind's wandered? At that point, you're not wandering. You've already remembered. At that point, we've already remembered. That's what we're supposed to be doing. That's good news. And the moment we remember, that's good news. That's something to feel good about. Do we enjoy it at that point, or do we engage the story of, I'm no good? Well, at that point, of course, we've forgotten again. Lack of skill. But it doesn't have to be that way. It's not an obligation. We can cultivate that skill. Again, as I was saying before, with gentleness, with patience, with kindness, with investing in that which is worth investing in, recognizing that which is worth honoring, we begin again. We cultivate the capacity to begin again. Limitless number of times. It doesn't matter how many lifetimes it takes us. You know, we can make that determination. However many lifetimes it takes us to learn how to fully begin again, I resolve to do it. You know, however many lifetimes it takes to realize the Buddha's teachings about letting go, I resolve to do it. Now, if you make a resolution like that, it's really helpful because you know some of the crazy tendencies in our minds are just give up. Say, so, well, if this guy's determining lifetimes, there's no point in hassling him. Mara doesn't like it when you make strong determinations. So letting go of the stories, recognizing stories of stories, recognizing awakening stories and deluding stories, discerning for ourselves, and also recognizing the spiritual stories. Sometimes the spiritual stories that we fixate on are not necessarily serving our awakening. Like, you know, it is quite possible to become an expert about Buddhism. You can read all the suttas and you can quote all the suttas and you can give a lecture on the Paticca Samuppada, the discourse on, on loving kindness, and still not be a very wise human being. Becoming an expert on Buddhism is not the point. The Buddha wasn't even a Buddhist, you know. The Buddha was interested, what the Buddha was interested in was reality. So becoming more honest, letting go of stories. When we're letting go of stories, we're actually becoming more honest with ourselves. And as we become more honest with ourselves, maybe what happens is we just find that we can learn from everything. 
Yeah. It's not the case that we have to study the suttas. Now, I'm not putting you off studying the suttas. You can study the suttas, but not at the exclusion of studying life. Yeah. We're not reading suttas all day long, but we're living life all day long. You know, 24-7 we're living life. So life is the teachings. That's why there's that collection of talks by Ajahn Chah which we call Everything is Teaching Us. This was Ajahn Chah's attitude. Learn from everything. It's not when you go on retreat and you're having conducive company and environment to get really spiritual that you're practicing properly. What we need to be doing is practicing properly all the time. We're learning willingness to learn from anger. Sometimes people think spiritual training is sitting and getting peaceful. No, not necessarily. When you're angry, when you're furiously angry, that can be really good spiritual training. Where are we going to reclaim our heart energy just at the time when we're giving it all away? That's when we can reclaim it. And when we're getting angry, that's one of the times we're giving our hearts away. Not in a beautiful way, in an ugly way, but still we're giving our heart energy away. We're projecting it out onto the world and getting angry with somebody. Or we're getting angry with ourselves. Now, if we've prepared ourselves with here now, whole body, mind, judgment-free awareness, maybe there'll be opportunity we can exercise restraint and wise reflection and feel the feeling of anger. Get interested in anger. Study anger. What's really going on here? Again, actually, to quote the, um, the good friend I was referring to a minute ago, who was talking about how fed up she was with being old. And just, being old is just so irritating. And I pointed out, well, you know, you can, you can do that if you want to. You know, you can be fed up, but you don't have to do that. You don't have to be fed up. And she was complaining bitterly about it. I said, well, why don't you just stop being angry? She said, well, I'm not angry. I'm just fed up. So, well, come on, you need to get a little bit more honest about that. It takes subtlety. You know, we need to stop, stop with the endless stories in our minds, the endless noise in our minds, settle down, get quiet, use our formal practice to get more here and now, get more subtle. And then even something like boredom is a subtle form of anger. Boredom is not actually boring when you realize that you're angry. When you realize you're angry, well, then you've got somebody to work with. Boredom is only a problem when you're fighting what you call boredom. But when you realize you're angry, well, deal with it. You're angry. What do you want to do that for? I mean, anger is really foolish. Lose your intelligence when you get angry. Or getting caught up in in longing, in monastery, you know. We don't eat in the evening, and so yeah, maybe in the evening you're feeling a little lonely, a little worried about something. And what's the habit? Go and eat. Go and snack. I mean, probably most of you do it so often you don't even know you're doing it. Don't mean to be rude, but you know, <laughs> it seems to ring true with a few people. That you know, snacking is one of the things we do to avoid actually taking responsibility for how we feel. You know, turning on the telly, checking, I don't know, Twitter or something, uh, checking a gadget. You know. We have all these habits of distraction. We're addicted to distraction. Rather than really listening, really being honest, and really taking responsibility for what we're doing in the moment, 
which is avoiding the suffering which we are creating. Now, you know, talking about all this might sound like, you know, I'm making out that we're all bad. We're not bad. We're just not aware. And that's why the Buddha is a worthy object of devotion, because the Buddha was edgelessly aware. The Buddha was limitlessly aware. Apamano buddho, apamano dhammo, apamano sankho. The Buddha was limitless. Yeah. Well, one of the things that's limitless about the Buddha is his consciousness, his awareness. didn't have any edges. The edges, the experience that we all have of limited being, is something that we impose upon consciousness through our habits of clinging. Yeah, we're doing it all the time. So what do we do? What's the antidote? We learn to let go. So letting go of all our habits, of our fixed positions, of our fixed opinions, of our stories. How do we do it? Restraint and wise reflection. Slow down the process. Inhibit the habits of projection until we feel what we're doing in the moment and then with that reflection, if I'm doing the clinging, if I'm doing the clinging, maybe... I can stop doing it. Yeah? I mean, if I'm doing it, it's not like no, somebody else is doing it to me. That would be a problem. But if, I'm do, if we see that I'm doing it, then maybe the intuition arises and the power and the strength and the conviction and the faith that I can stop doing it. And that's a real force. That's a tremendous force. So these are the uh, reflections that the Buddha wanted us to dwell on and, and uh, didn't want us to just settle for feeling comfortable. You know, sometimes people mistake the spiritual path as something to do with just getting comfortable, about feeling good about life. But like that quote from Ajahn Chah I said before, you know, even serenity is something to let go of. You know, the Buddha wasn't just talking about getting peaceful. He was talking about awakening, seeing the exact cause, where and when we do what we do, which creates the suffering. And with that seeing comes the compassion for others who are doing the same thing. It's not like, well, you know, I'll solve my problems and then I'm out of here. You know, that's not the thing. Why do you think from the time of 36 until he died, the Buddha spent the rest of his life teaching out of compassion? Compassion and wisdom go together. When there's the wisdom that sees the cause of suffering, there's the corresponding compassion that wants to help all beings be free from suffering. So on this occasion of the marking the birth and the enlightenment and the passing away of the Buddha, I offer these thoughts for your reflections. Here. <laughs>